You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, it's Mike, and welcome to Earth Station One. And of course, we have my co-host, Mr. Mike Gordon here. Howdy! And we are gathered together to talk all about the 50th anniversary of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. See, see, I made my howdy even more Western. Exactly. You're tilting your hat and, you know, giving that grin and you know, going, hi, ladies, how you doing? I'm chewing the barley. Well, that's personal problems, but that's okay. <laughs> You know, I'll rather drink the barley, but that's okay. Yeah, me too. Add some hops to it, and then we'll be in good shape. So it's good. It's healthy. That's right. I keep on telling everybody that. So we're going to be talking all about the movies this week, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we are also going to be joined by our old friend, Van Allen Plexico. He's introducing us to a new friend in the geek seat this week. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's brought he's brought in a quote-unquote friend to, to take the geek seat for him. Well, he's like, yeah, come on, don't worry. That shark won't bite you. It's okay. Exactly. I don't know if they'll be friends after this. Mm, you never know. But, you know, once you get into the geek seat, you never escape. And True. Speaking, it, does, it does tend to bring people closer together. Oh, of course not. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because uh, yeah, it's a you know, traumatic experiences often uh, form, make uh, help form healthy and long-lasting relationships. Of course it does. You know, you know, I have friends of mine who are still stuck down in the geek seat dungeon, you know, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And actually, Mike and I actually saw each other. Speaking of dungeons, we went to a Comic Con together this last week. Yes, but it wasn't in the dungeon. It was in a Legion post, which exactly. was pretty awesome, actually. It was awesome, you know, with Legion being so much in the news with Kanzis right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that not that kind of Legion. Oh, no, this is the good Legion. This is the good Legion. They have the flight rings and everything. It's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. You know, they have their initiations. It's awesome. Well, and, you know, it's funny that you say that because a lot of people don't think DC when they think Legion. They think Marvel because of the FX show. Well, now, yes. Yes. That's true. Well, Legion for DC really hasn't had much of a presence other than <laughs> the little bit they've had with Supergirl lately. Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah. So I could totally see that happening. So, you know, we're rambling already. It's one of those shows. But we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. And, of course, got to say hey to our patrons. Thank you very, very much for everybody who has been donating to us. We love hearing from you guys. And, you know, we've been, you know, doing gangbusters. And... We're always happy to give you guys exclusive material or early previews or, you know, there's even a level now where if you join the ESO Network Patreon, you get an ESO Network Windows sticker. That's right. You'll be able to get an exclusive one-of-a-kind ESO Network Windows sticker that you could share with and show off to your friends and go, hey, I am a member of an exclusive club called the ESO Network Patreon. And for as little as 25 cents a week, you can join too. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Not too shabby. All right, let's get started with this week's Rants and Raves, where we see what's on our mind. Mr. Mike, what do you got for us? 
Well, uh, you know, since we're reviewing a uh, l- like legitimized official classic, it's got American Film Institute status and everything. Classic movie. Uh, it reminds me, of course, of my days uh, that that I was at uh, when Carpenter. you were classic. Yeah, when I was classic. Yes, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, because everything over fifty is classic, right? We've established that. So, so yes, you and I are both classic. Um, and uh, not to be confused with like classic Coke, which is the best Coke, actually. So, oh, of course it is. New Coke. Bleh. Right. Which is, anyway, off on a tangent of that. No more. We're not talking about Stranger Things again <laughs> this time. Um, no, but, um, you know, I spent my entire college career watching classic movies, watching movies, because I, I my major was in narrative studies. And I took uh, a lot of film classes. I had film classes, sometimes two film classes every semester uh, that I took. And it, you know, even though I was much more interested in making movies, um, most of the classes that I took were analyzing them, reviewing them, studying them. Um, And uh, that is a very interesting thing to do, especially when you're uh, interested in creating them. Now, I understand uh, that you also had a lot of film classes. Oh, yeah. I've taken a lot of film classes as well. Of course. I, and yep. would you say that now, was that mostly uh, making of them or making movies or theorizing? All the above. I've taken, you know, I was in my second college stint. I was a, what they call a visual arts major. And I studied computer art, but we also had to study film during that. And I did a lot of focus on, you know, doing amateur movies and such. And, but also, which is really awesome, was able to do some pretty cool stuff studying animation. And so I got to watch a lot of animated movies, but we also watched the history of, we also took a class on the history of film. And so we got to watch a ton of classics that way. And before that, I was a film buff already because of my grandfather. Makes sense? Mikey? Sorry. Uh, I, that was weird. I just, all of a sudden, my computer said, you are muted. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, can he do that? <laughs> Let's Sorry. see. Yes, I can, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, sorry about that. Um, I was a film, I grew up a, a film buff as well. Uh, and boy, did I really double down when it came to college because like I said, I had film, I had film studies classes, which usually were at least one or two of those. We would watch um, a movie a week and write about it, talk about it, analyze it, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that ranged from anywhere from uh, classic American movies to I had one semester where I did uh, uh, French cinema, one semester where I did um, melodrama, one semester where I did, we just did silent movies. Um, and it was real education, um, even though sometimes it could get steeped a little bit too, um, too much in academia. academia. Right? Is that the word? Yes. It is. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, uh, so, you know, and it was kind of dry, 
but other times it was, you know, I saw a lot of movies that I would never have seen on my own because at that time you couldn't just dial things up on YouTube and watch them. Uh, so if you wanted to see uh, like an, an old um, movie from 1918, you know, you had to really have the resources to do so. So um, it was quite uh, quite an education getting to see all of this whole range of movies. I was also in the film club in Clark University. So uh, I projected uh, 16 millimeter movies um, and uh, for uh, for view uh, for the for people watching them. And uh, so I did that uh, twice a week sometimes. There was another uh, film group that came to our college and uh, they showed uh, a movie once a week too. And that was usually a movie of the year, like a, that, that, a current movie that was usually something that was hard to see. It was like an art house movie, like a foreign movie or something that was independent. So, um, so I was watching movies three or four, sometimes five, six times a week. Uh, oh, sure. And, so, so I was completely invested in movies. Um, but I have to say that, you know, it's, it's sometimes it was difficult to, to, um, to watch movies after that or to, to get out of that mindset because it was hard to be invested when you were so busy, like, analyzing the movie. Well, sure, because I, you know, in my history of animation class, I wrote a paper on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the Disney version, because, you know, it was such a momentous event because it was the first feature length animated movie Mm -hmm. and for it to be in color on top of that because a lot of everything was pretty much black and white especially animation at that time i uh i didn't write anything about and i never took a class a formal class on animation on animated movies that would have been fun um french i would say the 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 I, i also took one on italian movies um the the french one was the one that i think i didn't care for the most um yeah uh, I i'm can, not I as understand drawn that. to the uh the french avant-garde uh you know jean-luc godard and and uh i almost said picard um uh <laughs> make and, it so <laughs> exactly francois truffaut and and the like um i just i got what they were doing but i just it just didn't mean it it didn't mean anything to me as much um some of them were just not not to my liking and uh italian movies were pretty interesting um and uh but my favorite was melodrama my favorite was uh melodrama i was really appreciative that my my university had a semester on melodrama because we they that hadn't been implemented before and uh i just I was amazed because it just didn't seem like melodramatic movies were getting the attention as a lot of other genres did and, uh, or the seriousness. A lot of people weren't taking them seriously. And I thought they were just as compelling and just as interesting to talk about as, you know, certainly as, um, you know, uh, um, like, uh, breathless, (laughs) uh, not the Richard Gere movie. Uh, but, okay, I was worried there for a second. No, 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 no. Breathlessly, the uh, the the Godard movie. Um, but uh, anyway, um, I just found it interesting. Like when you watch a movie, like when it's, it's it's difficult when I watch a classic movie like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid that's got so much um, history and so much prestige. Sometimes I find myself getting into that area of academia again, where I'm like looking at it 
not as just a, a great movie with some great performances and emotion attached to it. Instead, I'm like going, oh, look at this way this shot is set up or hmm, that's a really interesting decision to make there or that's a weird cut or look at how he's using this or like and it's just really um, sometimes it takes me a while. To, I mean, I can I can pretty much step back from it now because uh, uh, I think I used to be a film snob to the extent, but I, I don't consider myself that anymore uh, because I think that's pretty arrogant actually. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, and I find that my tastes are not that snobbish at all. Like if, you know, I mean, people look at my DVD collection, they'd be like, uh, dude, you're not a snob. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's nothing like you like commando. No, nobody who calls himself a film snob could like you Arnold Schwarzenegger. Commando. Wow. I love Commando. That's a guilty pleasure for me. I'd say actually I'm not guilty about it. I love it. So Well, there's um, certain things about Commando I like, but the Schwarzenegger movie, no. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So now we're learning a little bit about you. But so and like I said, I knew that you took film classes. Oh yeah. And got steeped in some of that uh academicness of it. Um and yeah, sometimes it's it's kind of a, a, a turnoff. It is because there were certain movies I loved before I took the classes, but then after having to dissect, you know, sorry, after I had to dissect them, it was kind of like now I watch it and that old school feel comes back and you go, oh, yeah, wow. And it's, it is tough because there's certain things I still love about, you know, certain movies we had to like one of the movies like we had to dissect some of the bergman films and we had to dissect you know some of like we had to dissect literally one who flew over the cuckoo's nest which is an amazing movie we had to dissect you know some of the stuff from the 1950s like rear window and you know hitchcock movies we've had you know and it's And it's just like, it's so interesting how we jump genre to genre. And then we got to some of the foreign films where you just were like, after you watched it, you were like, what the hell did I just watch? You know, and then you had to dissect it and write a paper about it. Oh, yeah. We did. Uh, I did a term paper on um, Psycho. Uh, I also did a term paper on um, uh, Orson Welles' movie, uh what's that one called uh, it's on the tip of my tongue turn of evil no oh man people listening are going to be like <laughs> shouting at me uh but now i just um i just draw a blank on what it was called but um that's it you know over 50 the memory starts going and uh um but and then the but the one where you're talking like what 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 you're talking about where it kind of really makes you like those movies I can still uh, watch and, and, and liked a lot. I mean, I still love psycho. So that one I was familiar with before film class. So when we dissected it, I didn't really, um, it didn't really ruin the enjoyment of it. I just had to kind of not watch it for a few years and then rewatch it one other time. And then I was like, Oh, okay. I'm back into this. Um, but uh, um, a movie that to this day I can't watch was, um, we we dissected and analyzed uh, the Killing Fields. Oh, really? And, and yeah, and we brutally dissected that movie so much so that um, 
we pretty much came to the conclusion that everything that the movie pretends to be for or about, it actually subverts and does a disservice to that subject. Um, so much so that we, I just have no respect for that movie whatsoever now. And, and it's something that, you know, it was kind of cool at the time that, you know, to pay attention to those things. But sometimes I think, you know, I don't honestly know like how much, some of that stuff really does uh, play into things. I mean, a lot of it has to do with subliminal um, uh, or unconscious behavior, like what's triggering you. And, and, you know, certainly there is an extent where that is true, but I think sometimes it's just sometimes, sometimes, you know, uh, Groucho with a cigar is just Groucho with a cigar. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's nothing more to it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I just find I don't I don't regret uh, taking that. I, I mean, like I said, I did really want to focus more on making movies instead of watching them and analyzing them. But it was a looking back on it, it was a really interesting experience. And I saw many movies that uh, made an impact on me and that I I really that made an impression on me that I never would have watched uh, probably without those. And um, it made me appreciate movie making uh, a lot more than uh, I think I had before I went to college. That's for sure. And I already, I mean, I already was a film buff before then, but after that, and then I, you know, after that, I still, you know, kept up with movies, but it was really hard to keep track of movies, current movies after that. And I must say that uh, I'm not quite the film. I can't really call myself quite the film buff as I could uh, back then just because you know there's so many movies that I haven't seen and I don't get to go to the movies as much as I'd like to um, but I do I do like you know I mean look one of my favorite channels is Turner Classic Movies so oh, totally makes sense it's a great station and it's great to rediscover some really amazing films I do find myself connecting a little bit more with classic movies though older movies than I do current movies. Well, yeah, a lot, you know, some classic movies are things that you just are glanced upon and then you catch it and you start going, okay, I'm going to watch this for a couple minutes. And then you get locked in and sucked in a lot of times with current movies. I don't feel that way. I can take them or leave them a lot of times, but it also depends on the director. True. No, no, I'm not saying that as a blank statement. I mean, certainly, you know, some of the movies that we've covered and talked about this year that I've loved um, will hold up against anything. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that there there's most movies that were done back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s, uh, like have this, I don't want to say timeless quality about it, but they have this sort of like way of when you when you give yourself into them, it's easy. It's really easy to forget everything else around you because, because it's like a, it's like a fantasy. It's like, there's nothing real world there. It's all, it's all encapsulated in that, that classic movie. Um, whereas movies of today, of course, reflect a lot of the things that are going on today. So it's kind of harder to escape, if you will. Oh yeah. I could totally see that. It, there was something more magical about older movies. Yeah, you have more CGI, you have more world building and grand, but older movies, you needed to use your imagination. And there was just 
a greater scope to older stuff. And that's what you, that's what made Hollywood magic at that time. And that's what places like, you know, like the Hollywood grand elite, I would almost put up against, you know, most of the modern movies now. I know somebody's yeah, going to write me and say, what about this movie, Mike? Huh? Well, I mean, there's exceptions, like we said, but I, you know, I mean, granted, we sound like two grumpy old men, but um, grumpy old film buffs. But, um, uh, you know, I think to me, movies have always been uh, about, for me, escapism. And that's where I kind of uh, hold them uh, to it. And if, uh, if I, if I can escape in a movie, then, and then I um, take something out of it, then that's the credit to the movie. And if I can't, then that's a fault of the movie. And uh, um, yeah, I just found it kind of interesting, especially with movies like this, like, and even, you know, last week with Tarantino, that kind of made me put on my, ooh, let me put on my film studies hat again, because Tarantino is going to, going to uh, make me think while I'm watching this movie. Not like, um, uh, oh, I was going to mention somebody and I was like, I don't even think I should, you know, brag on somebody. But uh, um, certainly there are a lot of uh, directors out there that I could, I could easily name that uh, probably don't make me think as much. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool thing about it. I, I'm always so happy to be surprised by a movie, old, new, but that's, you know, one of the great things about movies is you watch a movie a lot of times to lose yourself in it. We did that this week when we watched Butch and Sundance. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting when we get to sit down and talk about it with Ashley and Alex, because one thing, even though we come at it from completely different experiences, I mean, granted, you and I are kind of the same age and Alex is a little younger and Ashley's just a baby. Uh, but um, we all love movies. We're all passionate about movies. And uh, that's what makes it really fun to talk about. So I'm really looking forward to talking about this one. You know, there's going to be many movies, probably a few folks at home probably can do the same thing. And you definitely want to hear from you. Please write us at Station one at ESONetwork.com. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This week on Myopia Defend Your Childhood. Myopia Defend Your Childhood is a nostalgic movie podcast where we rewatch the movies of the 80s and 90s as we walk down memory lane. From action to animation, horror to sci-fi, we rewatch the movies my panelists and I grew up watching to see how our pasts hold up. Join us every other Thursday on the ESO Network. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Letterboxd, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time for the Geek Seek segment. We got an old friend joining us and a new friend. Let's welcome back Van Allen Plexico and Sean Drager. Woo! Hello. Howdy. Howdy, guys. Van, it's been a long time. Yeah, you and I uh, recently did a show on White Rocket, talking on the Avengers show, talking about uh, about uh, the Infinity War, but um, Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny you say recently because that was before we saw Endgame, and it feels like it was a decade ago. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. 
But uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta get caught up and read uh, Infinity War so we can continue that discussion. That would be awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, we're not here to talk about uh, Avengers stuff. Nope. Not not directly anyway. <laughs> but uh, tell us what's going on, guys. Uh, well, let me. I'll say what it is, and then Sean can talk about how I did it. Um, <laughs> my uh, my space opera pulp science fiction novel hawk hand of the machine which has been out for a couple of years um is at last out in audible and the awesome person who performed the audio of it is joining us tonight sean duriger hello thanks for having me awesome now um talk about now van this isn't your first audio book uh performed right no Okay, but tell tell us about this process and how how this came about. Um, I have uh, I have two or three people that have done them in the past, including the awesome also uh, Pete Milan, who does the Sentinels, and he did Vegas Heist. Mm-hmm. But I um, but I wanted to get somebody different for this, and um, so I just we did auditions like you usually do on ACX on Audible, and Sean turned in his, and it was fantastic and i loved it and i got with him and we got together and and he's uh he can tell you his story but he's been uh getting into the audio business in a big way and so uh, i think as as, correct me if i'm wrong sean that this was one of the first like big books that you did for your new company right yeah this was uh probably the third book i had auditioned for and because i had started doing it last year and i'd done this small little horror novella haunted house novella and then i just started auditioning um and my process is like i always judge the book by its cover so i'm always looking at like (laughs) the cover first and then i see because i'm like well if they're gonna put some work into the art then obviously they're they're passionate about the project so then we'll see if the project you know if the project connects with me or not and uh i just read the you know read the synopsis of it and it seemed like right up my alley i'm a huge sci-fi geek myself and you know, superhero geek. I got I got like a superhero sci-fi feeling from it, and I just threw in the audition, you know, and uh, just not knowing what would what would happen. And and eventually, Van contacted me and got this crazy ball rolling. I realized pretty quickly that I had to kind of update my audio setup um, after doing my kind of first couple of books. So luckily, he was gracious to let me kind of sort all that out before I started started Hawk. So I was able to kind of flub a few things before I started this. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that was my next question was for you, Sean, was how long you've been doing this and what about uh, performing uh, or narrating uh, books uh, or texts anyway uh, is, is attractive to you? I, you know, I went to school for like radio and things like that. So I'm 40, 41. I'll be 42 this year, which is ridiculous, but um, to think about, but I went to I went to college for like radio and broadcast and I kind of through my journey my career journey never ended up really pursuing that I kind of found other jobs and kind of followed the money and the benefits so I got kind of caught up in the corporate world um so I've been doing that I work for a local um electric company and but I've always kind of been doing podcasts for the past I don't know 10 years or so I've been doing podcasts and one of my friends who's a writer, he goes, you should just throw your hat in the ring for some audiobooks. And I was like, well, how the hell do you do an audiobook? I was like, I don't want to sit there and read for hours on end. I don't have time for that. And uh, so I started kind of looking into it and I wanted to branch out and do some voiceover kind of, I had the equipment. So I was like, well, I might as well try. And I just started searching it out and 
and I love books. Anyway, I was, I've always been an avid reader and I've always done like voices and, and had a flair for the dramatic. So, um, we I figured I, this would be a quick way to make some money. And then I, I was quickly found out that I was wrong. It's not a quick way to make money. There's a lot more <laughs> into it. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of got, I did my first book just for the heck of it to see if I liked it. And I just got, got bit by the bug. I loved it. And I love, um, kind of diving into a story and really, you know, grappling with the characters and trying to create a voice for them in a sense and bring people through the story. And uh, I still have a lot to learn, but it's it just, I, I love it. So uh, I'm just lucky enough that people keep hiring me for their, you know, to voice their books. You know, I just kind of feel kind of thrown into this and people keep for some reason, one reason, one reason or another, um, asking me to do their stuff. So. Well, I see that on, uh, at least on uh, audible, there's eight, uh, uh, books that you've done yes. the narration for, and that's and then uh, Hawk is is it seems like it's the longest by far. Uh, yes, so, so it's a marathon, not a sprint in this case. You're welcome, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what about uh, doing uh, the narration, doing audios? Has ha- what have you learned? What is surprising to you that you've learned uh, doing this? I think. Um, you know, I came into it kind of thinking there wasn't going to be a lot of surprises because I was like, well, I've edited podcasts, I've done radio dramas, I've done radio, and it's no big deal. But I think the biggest surprise for me was kind of just getting out of my own head's way. Because when you're recording yourself, and especially if you're performing something, you have no director, uh, you have to self-direct. But also, if you self-direct, you're also overthinking things too much. So if I hear a pop here, or if I flub, you know, slur a word here the, it was like me learning how to almost talk all over again when I have the mic on recording a book because it's, it's completely different than anything I'd, I'd ever done because um, I'd done small kind of scripts for voiceover but this it was just completely different so I just I kind of had to relearn uh, how to approach the text from what I'd learned from college and, and everything else it's, just, it's a completely different animal because you're trying not to sound like a robot and and you're trying to but you're also trying to speak clearly for the listener and bring them through. So um, just kind of like it's learning how to act with my voice, I guess was the biggest thing I wasn't prepared for. Cause I was like, is, oh, I'll, I'll just sit and read. No big deal. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, there's, you know, it took me a while to figure out that there's a lot of different styles to it. I mean, I, I haven't listened to a ton of them, but I've, I've listened to a good amount. And, and uh, like most recently I was kind of surprised when I listened to, uh, like Craig Ferguson did his own, like he narrated his own book. Um, and, and I thought, well, I like Craig Ferguson. He's a funny guy. Uh, this should be, this should be entertaining to listen to rather than read. And I was really surprised because when he read it, it was not like his performing voice. Uh-huh. He was just kind of reading it very, very slowly. Um, I mean, it was still kind of enter- in- interesting, but it didn't have the same energy that he does like on stage or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And so I thought that was very surprising to me. I was like, oh, it doesn't feel like it's Craig Ferguson in some ways. Um, but, but also, uh, like, the flip side of that is we did a, um, a book review uh, for the uh, Earth Station One Book Club like a few weeks ago on On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And I was reading that, reading that, reading that book, and I, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't loving it. And because of uh, I was constrained for time, I was like, well, I'm going to have to get the audio book and sort of listen to this on the way to work and everything like that. 
So I, I started listening to it and boy, did that make a difference because suddenly huh. like the rhythm of the language was really apparent to me that I wasn't actually getting on my own when I was reading it. So I think it is a very powerful tool or it can be used very powerfully. It can, but you can also really up someone's book too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the yeah, thing I'm most, so. most terrified so. of doing. Just, yeah, because like, yeah, if you're not reading it in the same tone as it intended, um, I, I definitely think that that is something to, to worry about. Um, mm. Now, Van, on the flip side, what are some of the things that you've encountered or had to be careful of, excuse me, careful about or challenges with, you know, you write the book, you're done, then someone's reading it. Does it, does it, does it change a little bit to you? Like, oh, well, I didn't notice that was going on. <laughs> Well, sure. I, I, well, I think that the main thing is when you're, um, when you're listening to different people doing their auditions, their samples, um, you, know, you don't want to be so locked in. I've got to hear this exactly this way because 20 people could do it and none of them do it exactly that way. So usually when I do this, um, and I've done several before, um, uh, I'm looking for a performance that that captures the spirit of it and does a professional job with it uh it can be different from my interpretation as long as it's good you know it doesn't have to be exactly <laughs> what i had in my, the voice i had in mind as long as it's a as, a as long as it's really well done and that was what sean did is you know he he may not make every character sound like they did in my head but nobody would you know if they made a movie they'd be different than than how they seem in my head but but he he is able to, and the, and the others that I've worked with that are that are so good have been able to find, you know, both a professional sounding tone for the whole thing that that makes you want to listen, no matter what the project is, but also that that is engaging and makes the characters distinct and enjoyable. And he certainly did, you know, because this this is a book that has several. In fact, this book has. I, you, I would, you know, what do you think about this, Sean? I think this book has at least three or four pretty much headlining main characters. Yeah. Not, not even the bad guys, but just like, you know, it, it alternates Hawk, Falcon, Raven, and even Eagle gets a lot of, you know, frontline time and they each have to be distinct, not to mention the supporting characters, bad guys and all that. And so that, that was what really impressed me with what Sean did. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and, and I guess it is a fine line between like, so you want to, you want to give an audio presentation of the book, but you don't, I mean, there's a difference between like sort of performing it like a, like a one man cast, right? Right. Yeah. It's not a radio, <laughs> it's not, it's not like, a radio drama. It's not a one like, person radio drama. Right. Like when the female characters are like, hello, Mr. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Sounding like and, a pepper pot. And, and the best, and the best audible folks are the ones I think that can, if you're a guy, you can do female characters and make them distinct without making them caricatures. And, and that's, again, that's what Sean did is he made Raven. You can tell it's a female character, but it, but she sounds perfectly, you know, fine as a, as somebody to listen to. It's not like, like you said, Mike, it's not like he's doing a caricature, you know, a, a pantomime of a, of a female. She was, she's a strong character too. And I was like, man, I don't want to, try to go to character with her especially because she was a strong you know real strong character in the story and and very self you know um she can take care of herself she can she's good in the fight so it was important to me to try to bring an edge to her and not and not have it be you know this dainty you know right. female of the story because she's a really awesome character 
Uh, yeah, and it's an awesome, uh, you know, series too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've told Van this before. I love the Shattered Galaxy books, and so, um, and this is the first one, although not. Well, it's the first one that you wrote, right? That you released. Mike, one of my favorite things you ever said to me, I think it was maybe one of these shows a couple of years ago. Mike says, there's, there's different ways of ordering a series. There's chronologically, there's the order the author wrote them in, and there's whatever Van's doing. <laughs> 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 Which pretty well sums it up. I don't take issue with that at all because... Oh, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. <laughs> I just write these as they come to me and then they just kind of plug into the overall picture. They don't necessarily have to go in a specific order other than the three Legion books, which obviously are one, two and three. But other than that, I mean, they're just kind of, it's like meanwhile in this corner of the universe or, you know, meanwhile, a thousand years ago, this was happening. And so, you know, it's really just how whatever order the reader wants to listen, but this is by far the one that's the farthest into the future. And so I was really excited um, because it's still, it's still the only one, in its part of this universe. And so it's, it's kind of a standalone book. It has been for a couple of years now. I haven't, I do eventually intend to do Falcon and Raven, but, um, but for now, you know, Hawk kind of stands alone in his own little corner of the shattering universe. Awesome. And so, yeah, it's a great place to place to start. It's a great Mm -hmm. jumping on point. And uh, I look forward to it. It's actually one uh, because it takes place so far in the future with everything else I've read. I actually haven't read this one. So Matt, now I'm not sure if I'm going to read it. And now I have a choice to listen to it. So that sounds intriguing <laughs> as well. So thank you for that option. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, very cool. Well, uh, before we get you out of here, first of all, we've got to, Sean, you, you've got to, you've got to pay the piper, man. It's time <laughs> That's what I hear. To get into the gate seat. Oh, Mike, one other thing before we strap him down into the geek seat. <laughs> okay. Um, I just this afternoon got word that any day now, imminently on the horizon, my new sci-fi novel, Alpha Omega, will will be coming out. It's coming out from Pro yeah. Se. And oh, so interesting. publisher, different art, different everything. Um, but it'll be on in paperback and on Kindle very, very soon. It may By the time this airs, it may even be, I'm not sure. And for those of you that, that come and see Mike and Mike and me and everybody else at Dragon Con, I sh- I'm pretty confident I will have a stack of copies at Dragon Con at my table. And I do a lot of, I do a lot of panels in the, in the military sci-fi track, which is an awesome, relatively new track at Dragon Con. And I'll have copies there too. So, because it fits in really well. So it's kind of a That's new cool. military sci-fi. That's really cool. That's really All cool. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So you, so you've got a li- a few minutes reprieve. But now, now it's time, Mike. Of course it's time. It's always time. You know that. It's always time for it. He's all, you know, chipper and everything as you've slowly been, you know, sneaking in, tying him up. And, you know, just make sure it's a little tighter, though. You know, he looks, he sounds too happy. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, Sean. <clears throat> It's karaoke is what we're doing now. We're doing karaoke, right? <laughs> you only wish it was karaoke. <laughs> you only wish it was karaoke. Let's find out a little uh, bit more about you. Okay. Sean, what was your favorite geek out moment? My favorite geek out moment. Um, I, you know, I like to think that I'm a pretty calm and collected person, especially, you know, when I'm around celebrities, if I meet celebrities or whatever. Um, but uh, I was, my wife and I were in, Las Vegas. And we were wandering around some shops. I mean, just all these shops with stuff that we can't afford. We're just wandering around looking at them. And my wife 
she like uh, taps me on the shoulder. And she goes, Sean, do you know that guy? And I look up and there's George Lucas <laughs> in the, a wallet shop. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, I got like the weird, like I've never been that nervous in my life. I felt like my, my legs all of a sudden felt just like wet noodles and I almost couldn't breathe. Had like a mild panic attack and my wife's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, well, I got to talk to him. And of course there's a guy like a, security guard or somebody kind of standing outside and I kind of wander up and I go, that's uh, that's George Lucas in there, isn't it? <laughs> the security guy goes, uh, you know, just uh, let him shop, leave him alone basically. And uh, so I kind of hung back and I waited for him to go into, I saw he was going to a, a suit store and these are like, you know, thousand dollars, $3,000 or whatever and up suits. And I kind of saw he was going in there. So I kind of wandered in there to kind of browse and I ended up browsing suits next to George Lucas. And I turned and I go, oh, you're George Lucas. <laughs> and he turns to me and he goes, no, I'm not. And he starts to walk away. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I look at him and I stop him. I go, you're George Lucas. And, uh, and right then, I think my wife saw me kind of, because uh, this could have been my worst geek moment, right? Um, my wife walks in, sees me kind of floundering. And she's like, has this smile that goes for days and these she's gorgeous and she has, and she's very, she can disarm people very easily with her smile. And she's like, hi. She goes, she almost treated me like a, like a, like a kid. He's one of your biggest fans. <laughs> so then we get to talking and I was like, look, you know, I was just said, I just said, I just want to thank you for your movies. I'm a huge, you know, they're a big part of my life. My kids love them. And once I mentioned my kids, his eyes brightened up and then he agreed for a picture. So, uh, so that's, that was like an all timer kind of to meet, meet George Lucas basically. I've seen this picture. He's not lying. Yeah, yeah. I've, well, I've posted cool. it. I can, every year I, I, every year I post it. I can only imagine, like, when you said he was wallet shopping, I'm like, is he looking for one that's massively huge? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll take uh, that in extra large, please. <laughs> no, He was with his wife. He was with his <laughs> wife, and I looked like maybe their son. I don't know. I, 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 it was one of those things where you don't want to intrude on their family time, but it was just like, God, this is George Lucas. I got to at least say hello. So oh, of course it was, he doesn't look too enthused in the picture, but, but I've had people tell me who've worked with him say that, Oh no, he's, you got a picture with him. So he didn't hate you. <laughs> so apparently he's hates really, he hates getting pictures taken or he felt trapped like a, you know, like a rat, but it is mm. what it is. You could have made so many star Wars jokes right there. Come I on. know. I know. <laughs> what was your most disappointing geek out moment? Oh man. Um, most disappointing geek out moment. I probably have a lot of them and I probably, you know, uh, in therapy, it'll probably start coming out, uh, more and more, but, um, but I'm a huge, you know, sci-fi anime geek. And I used to work for bands and we used to tour around and one of the bands they had like, you know, on stage, they had like these anime type hairstyles, you know? And I was like, that's kind of cool. And, uh, so I started wearing my hair like them, uh, much to my dismay later on in life when I found out that I was in, I was in one of their documentaries uh, with my hair like that. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not very proud of that moment. <laughs> Me attempting anime hair is probably uh, a pretty bad geek out moment. moment. Mm, but what geeks you out the most? What geeks me out the most? Of course. Right, probably pretty much anything Star Wars. <laughs> like I, They'll all be sitting in my office and someone will mention Star Wars in passing because, of course, no one likes Star Wars as much as, like, you know, people like us, I would assume, do. And uh, I'll just jump into the conversation right away. 
And, uh, you know, especially somebody asking me, so what do you think of the new Star Wars? Well, and I'll go into this lengthy description on what I liked, what I didn't like, what I thought the new director brought. <laughs> you know? And uh, so it's pretty much anything Star Wars that will geek me out for sure. That's awesome. But what turns your geek off? Mm, when someone says that they haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> Whoa. Wait, I, sense, I sense a trend here. I don't know why. No, wait. Uh, if there's, if I ever meet anyone and they basically um, like, like they're like, well, I don't like um, fantasy or science fiction because it's not realistic. Like if they bring that up like right away, the beginning of like a conversation about a movie or a book or something, it's like, it's like geek, geek boner gone. We can't, we cannot have any further conversations. So anyone that, you know, you, you I've run across these people, especially where I work and that kind of stuffier office, you'll have some people who are just, I don't know, they have no soul. But the, if they make mention to me that they do not like anything that's not realistic, it's a, it's a, that's, a, that's a downer. It's like, you do not deserve to be my friend. <laughs> not at all. Nope, moving on. <laughs> that is awesome. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? I'm going to keep the Star Wars thing rolling, I guess. Wow, this is a new um, record, dude. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. It's seriously, it's seriously the one thing that I can get the most, most. I mean, I don't know. Some people, they know all the lore and, and characters and creatures' names. I just get excited about it. I want to watch it or read or whatever. But I think it'd be great to hang out with Lando Calrissian, right? I mean, he seems like a fun guy. You can get some, get some drinks with him and, and have a good time. You might not have any money left afterwards. You might not, no. No, but, uh, you know, he, he may go off with two or three women and you might take the leftover one and go off and, in a corner and, and talk. But Lando seems like fun, like a fun person. I, I had written down like Han Solo, but Han Solo's in way too much trouble. I don't think I want to be around that. Nope, totally makes sense <laughs> to me. What fictional character would you not like to meet? Is that Han Solo? No, no, I would say I would, I would say Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks, hand down, hands down. Jar Jar Binks, do not. No, it totally I, makes sense. I, I thought about this long and hard too. I was like, I got to get out of the Star Wars universe, but I was like, there's of every character I've ever seen on screen or I've I've read. What's the one character that's just stupidly pissed me off the most? And it's it's Jar Jar Binks. I just it's so frustrating. <laughs> you ain't wrong. That's, that's not far from our number one answer, actually. On the show, it isn't. Okay. I was trying not to go there, but I was like, it's the one thing that like the one thing walking out of the pre of, of, uh, of Phantom Menace. Like I had, I had bought the Jar Jar Binks character before I even seen the movie. And I was like, Oh, I was like, buy a Star Wars, you know, a Star Wars toy. And I immediately threw it in the trash. <laughs> wow. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Hmm. Well, uh, I've been talking about Star Wars, but I, but the one thing I I say a lot uh, would be in this, on the Star Trek side of things would be "live long and prosper." It's always just one of those. Or I have many. Or I can go to like Lord of the Rings, and I'm always going like "full of a toque" or stuff like that. Um, you know, that neither one of those are bad. Mm-hmm. That is pretty darn awesome, though. <laughs> What is your ideal geek occupation? Well, um, ideal geek occupation. Um, I mean, I'm kind of doing that now with being, you know, 
making some cash, like narrating people's books. Um, that's one thing I've been wanting to do, you know, something, doing something like this doesn't feel like work. So I would assume, um, if I can do this for a living, that'd be amazing. But, um, um, but anything like, you know, one of the bucket list thing would be like, if I can be a voice of a cartoon character, I think that would be pretty awesome. That would be, that would be pinnacle geek for me to be the voice of a cartoon. God, that's my life right there. <laughs> what geek occupation would you not like to do though? Uh, like, like a, like a Fortnite competitor or something <laughs> like that. It just does not seem fun to me. Um, you know, talking to my son, he may, he may have a different opinion. There's tournaments and everything like that. It's just too much pressure. It's just way too much pressure. <laughs> I know. It's like my son's the same way. It's like, dad, this is so awesome. And I'd be looking at him like, really? Really? <laughs> I thought I raised you better than this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying and failing. Okay, so. Sean, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Yep. Yep. I'm going to try to answer this one. It's the one that I didn't write down an answer to, but I think I can figure it out. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? <laughs> uh, of course, my brain always goes like, you know, tied up next to Jabba by Princess Leia in a gold bikini. Uh, but uh, you I don't know if you're thinking about that kind of fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I've always, I, I don't I would always love, like, I think I interpreted this as like, what's something I would love to hang out with or see or, or be involved in or whatever. But I, I would love to go see, um, you know, uh, the director, Guillermo del Toro, he has this like, uh, he has this house full of like all this movie memorabilia and horror stuff. Like it would be amazing to spend like a weekend in there and just look at everything. But uh, that or, or, you know, visit the set of a, of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> That is totally understandable. That got to go to a set to see oh, yeah. the Millennium Falcon right there. That'd be amazing. It'd just yeah. be like, ah. It's yeah. Like, and they say, you can't tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Sean, I've got very good news for you, sir. Okay. You made it through the geek seat. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> Huzzah. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth (laughs) $18.12. Perfect. Thank you so much. Wow. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, very cool. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Man, it's always great to have you back on the station. Oh, it's so good to be on the mothership always. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on board every time. And tell us where we can find out more about uh, the the new audio book, the new book, uh, everything you've got going on. Um, you can always just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and uh, there's links there to every freaking thing I do. So, um, <laughs> Or just go to Amazon and type in Plexico, and probably going to be me that pops up. There you go. And, and Sean, uh, are you represented online as well? Yeah, you, you can go to uh, you can go to screamingpodsvo.com. That's uh, where I have all my links to all the audiobooks I've done and some other uh, commercial work I've done. Um, you know, it's, it's it's constantly being updated. And uh, just go there and uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Sean C. DeRager, or just go to screamingpodsvo on Twitter. That's almost easier. But it's all you can get it. Find, over, go to screamingpodsvo.com. You'll find all the links there to 
everything. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll have a link to both of those in the show notes. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with our review of Butch and Sundance. Hey, everybody. Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. This is Michelle. And outside my office last week in Midtown Atlanta, I saw some guys from the uh, the city work crews working to uh, string up lights on the trees for the holidays. They told me that the city has asked for so many more trees to be decorated than last year that they're having to start now and they're hoping they get ready uh, by December. And someone else who is working on something for Christmas is Paul McCartney. That was the best segue you've ever heard, wasn't it? Uh, Paul McCartney is uh, writing a an adaptation for the stage of the movie It's a Wonderful Life, which should hit Broadway uh, next year, 2020. He is working, um, he's written all the music and is co-writing the lyrics with a man named Lee Hall, who wrote the Billy Elliot movie and the stage adaptation, and more recently wrote the uh, Elton John biop- biopic uh, Rocket Man. So that should be something interesting to mark your calendars for for next year. And also, uh, there's been a lot of uh, talk in not just the music press, but um, mainstream media as well about women in the music business, uh, their chances of breaking in, uh, their role or lack of same. Um, And NPR is debuting uh, this year's season of their series, Turning the Tables. They're looking at the careers and lives of eight women who shaped American popular music. They are Bessie Smith, Maybelle Carter, Billie Holiday, Marian Anderson, Ella Fitzgerald, Mary Lou Williams, Celia Cruz, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. These should be really good, so uh, log on to npr.org starting Monday, August 5th, and check those out. And on the blog, iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, I have a post up about three women who made a mark on the music industry, um... With, from within the industry, not as performers, uh, and uh, how they should be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the most recent post is a look at the life and career of Lonnie Donegan, who uh, was a musician of the 50s who influenced people like Daltrey and Townsend, uh, the Quarrymen, who later became the Beatles. They gave him a lot of credit for their existing at all as a group. Um, little known figure, um, but of an interesting and uh, kind of contradictory guy. So uh, check that out, and we will talk to you again next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Paul Newman is Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid is Robert Redford. Catherine Ross is Etta Place. Dynamite's ready, Butch. Well, that ought to do it. Think here's enough dynamite there, Butch? Most of this is true, and all of it blazes with action. You've never met a pair like Butch and Sundance. Well, we're back in business, boys and girls. Outlaws with style, in a class all their own. You know, when I was a kid, 
I always thought I was going to grow up to be a hero. Don't tell me how to rob a bank. I know how to rob a bank. And anything you ask of me, I'll do. Except one thing. I won't watch you die. You just keep thinking, that's what you're good at. <laughs> An incredible pair of rugged adventurers, creating a living legend on two continents. But it's just one guy. Don't you get sick of being right all the time? They robbed trains. Stop it. Looted banks. Manas Ariba! They got him up! Ah, oh, you're so damn smart, you read it! And one girl shared their love and larceny. Raindrops keep falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head What are you doing? Stealing your woman? Take her. Boy, you're a romantic bastard, I'll give you that. Mr. E.H. Harriman of the Union Pacific put the top lawmen in the West on their trail. They're very good! If he'd just pay me what he's spending to make me stop robbing him, I'd stop robbing him. They were outlaws, running out of time and out of space, and a changing world was closing in on them. From the American West to New York. To the dangerous new frontier of Bolivia. Bolivia? Well, he'll feel a lot better after he's robbed a couple of banks. I'll jump first. And you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time for our movie review section. And we are going back to look at the 50th anniversary of Butch and Sundance. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's uh, we are, uh, you know, sort of like uh, last week where we're sticking to that 1969 time frame because uh, that's when this movie was made. And actually, I don't know if it's because it just was on my mind still, but I think there's a lot of similarities between this movie and a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, we're not going to have a lot of spoilers for the Tarantino movie, but we will have spoilers for Butch and Sundance. Um, and I know that sounds kind of silly because it's a 50 year old movie, but yet. Here's the warning anyway. You've been warned. It's, it's based on real life stuff too. So, uh, but um, this, was, this was a big deal. And uh, of course, do we have our movie people, our, our usual crew to talk all about this, this classic film, uh, starting with Ashley is back. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Summer season is almost over, but we're, we're squeaking in a classic. Yeah, it's kind of fun to talk about something that's a significant or well-known film that just doesn't happen to be playing right now. It's kind of fun to go back instead of just doing the new releases. So I'm looking forward to chatting about this one. And and this is one that you had never seen before, correct? You know what's funny is that I actually had seen it before. So, wow, because um, I know that you're not a big Western person. Yeah, and that's actually why I'm glad I got a chance to rewatch it because the first time I watched it, not necessarily of my own free will, and I it was either 
give or take that experience. But after like rewatching it now, I enjoyed it a lot more the first than I did the first time. So it was definitely a more positive experience. Awesome. And, and Alex is here with us as well. Yay, everybody. Hey, um, now, this is the first time you'd seen this or you'd seen this many times? This one was actually the first for me. Um, there oh, were wow. scenes that I genuinely remembered, um, but it must have been because I've seen clips so many times. Um, but this was one that upon watching it, especially from the very beginning, it was clear that I had never seen the film before. Um, so it was really a rather unique uh, unique way uh, of kind of sitting back and seeing a movie that as of this recording is 49 uh, years and uh, a little over 10 months old. Um, so uh, because its anniversary is September 24th. Um, we're early. We're celebrating early. We're celebrating early. Also, that's probably the only useless bit of trivia I'll give for you tonight. So good night, everybody. No, no box <laughs> on this tonight. No box office report on, it, on this it, one? It made $6 million. <laughs> <laughs> it I actually, um, it um, it says here it earned... Well, his budget was $6 million, yeah. Well, actually, it's got a final gross yeah, of over $100 million, um, and it is the top grossing film released in 1969, uh, the 34th top grossing film of all time, and the top 10 for its decade, uh, of course, due to re-releases because it's right. a lot. So, um, so it made a lot of money. It made a lot of money. So much so that uh, a lot of these folks uh, went on to do other movies together, uh, not sequels to this, although there is a sequel slash prequel to this, which I don't think we should mention that one at all. So. No, please do not. He's <laughs> already mentioned it. It's already out there. Well, okay. All right. Uh, one thing I want to say about Butch and Sundance, the early years, I, I have to say this because, you know, it must've been an extreme challenge when, when they realized they couldn't get Robert Redford and Paul Newman again to come up with two charismatic actors that could carry the torch. And of course, Tom Berenger and William Catt were perfectly suitable to do that. The greatest oh, American man. hero. Wow. Yeah, and he's in the he's in the uh, Robert Redford Sundance Kid role. No. <laughs> yes. Mm. Okay. This, wow. That, All right. Um, so Butch and Sundance, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, nineteen sixty nine movie directed by George Rory Hill, uh, written by the um, amazing. Uh, he's the guy. He's the one, the one that they often count, uh, point to to say that this guy wrote the book on on screen playwriting because he did um uh that is william goldman um what did you guys think of this uh of this movie um ashley we'll start with you yeah so you as you had alluded to earlier in the past i have not been the biggest fan of westerns for whatever reason either was the setting or the type of characters had just never really appealed to me and it's probably a slightly controversial statement but i'm just not a fan of john wayne um, just his particular style of Westerns had never really worked for me, but I started thinking of Westerns in a different way after I watched, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly for my better late than never blog series. And that film just totally blew my mind. It was such an amazing movie and it's like, wow, I, here's a Western and I love it. So that kind of allowed me to start rethinking. It's like, well, maybe it's not necessarily that I don't 
like Westerns. It's that I just haven't found the right Western for me. And I think um, the John Wayne Westerns focus sometimes a little bit more on black and white, like the good guys wearing the big white cowboy hat, the bad guys wearing the big black cowboy hat. And things are very kind of standard in that way. But I enjoy ones more kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this one where you have characters who are charismatic and really interesting, they're not really on the right side of the law. So you've you've got this interesting interplay here where they're not necessarily the good guys, but you really kind of root for them. And they're really fascinating characters and very charismatic. So um, I, I really enjoyed revisiting this one and getting to know the characters. And of course, just Robert Redford and Paul Newman, great performances from them as the lead characters. It's interesting you mentioned that. And I think that's one thing that we're all going to talk about is how, uh, you know, Butch and Sundance are not good guys. I mean, they might be cool guys, but they're not, they're outlaws. Oh yeah. Not, not heroes for sure. Right. And it's interesting that when they pitched this movie, when William Goldman uh, pitched this movie and they took it to studios, uh, there was one studio in particular that wanted to buy it, but they had to change it so that the two lead characters did not flee to South America because, because in their, in their minds, like the heroes don't run away. And I'm like, but they're not guys. Like, did you, did you miss that? Um, but, uh, and I could see in this, this setting and the way that this movie works, it is kind of easy to kind of see that uh, they're not, they're, they're not outlaws because they're, they're depicted not to, um, you know, they don't, they don't kill a lot. Um, uh, certainly I don't think they kill anybody until sort of towards the end of the movie. There's um, a total body count of 30 in the movie. Wow. You counted well, you know, I had nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> they um, and in fact, we—it's not until the very end that we even hear that whether or not Paul Newman has ever shot somebody. Yeah, which is um, a—it's a funny scene, but it's like I don't really buy that—that that you yeah. didn't know that, like Sundance didn't know until that moment that Butch had never shot. Well, somebody. they're clearly best friends who do no talking to each other. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So a typical good bromance. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah they yeah. just teamed up yeah. for this one last mission. Um, uh, so Alex, what did you think of the movie? You know, it, it was interesting going into it and, and thinking about how iconic the film is. Because let's face it, that is a that is a, a very accurate uh, a adjective for this movie. It's iconic. Uh, there are scenes in this film that are used to this day in your typical action film. And this may be as far as action movies go, one of the first buddy films. Um, Cause normally buddy films were, were more your traditional uh, uh, travel ones like uh, the road movies. Oh yeah. You had, you know, a lot of Bing Crosby and right. Yeah, right. But this stuff. one, and on top of that, you have two actors legends in their prime in this starring in this film together with an equal footing. It wasn't a case of Paul Newman's higher and then Robert Redford underneath or Robert Redford and then Paul Newman directly underneath. It was Newman and Redford. Bam. And the chemistry between the two of them was amazing. Right. But it, but my wife and I were talking about it after the movie was over and we're like, what could you possibly equate this to? And the only thing I could think of, the only thing that we could think of was the idea of if 
Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise made a movie in 1995. That would be the level of star power. Both of them 100% in their prime. Everybody knows who they are. And that's what I was getting when I was going into this film. And there's a lot of it that's very unique and, and very interesting to see how it's done. But I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of times in this movie where I'm like, something happened. Anything. And why is there no music? I remember you messaged me while you were watching. I messaged Mike during this going, <laughs> why? Um, and, and it was, I was like looking at it, it's going, um, we're about an hour into the movie. Could something happen? You were like, where's the score? Where is the score? And I and didn't then, understand and then the that score started and you're like, can we go back to the silence, please? It was very strange for that moment because I literally, I sent him a thing going, why is there all of these scenes when there's no music? And then all of a sudden there's like a montage in the film and there's music playing underneath it, but nothing is happening during this montage. And I'm like, what? And then to find out William Goldman wrote it, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, how does that even work? Um, I'm very confused by the entire thing. And, and all I could think of the entire time was I skipped Hobbs and Shaw for this. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't, I don't know that that's the right answer for $180 million that it made over the weekend. But anyway, no, uh, I, I really I, I wanted to enjoy it more than I did. Um, and while there's great moments in it and there's great moments to praise in the film, it didn't click with me. I'm kind of surprised because I would think something like this would be right up your wheelhouse. Totally up my wheelhouse. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking, oh, Alex is going to love this because the actors, the storyline. And then when you were writing me, I was like, <laughs> no, the cinematography is gorgeous this movie oh god yes beautiful um and i don't know if it was just i mean i would love to just sit there and say it was because i was heavily medicated were you well a little um but there were (laughs) moments i have a cold uh there were moments in the film where i'm literally sitting there going they're sitting there and they're doing nothing and there's no music it's stone silent is this how movies were made back then? Well, no, because one year later we have the Godfather and the Godfather's full of amazing music. True. What the hell. I'm uh, that's, it was very weird for me. Um, and, and I feel like I, you know, it's like I, I'm about to take a lot of heat off of Ashley and her saying that she didn't like uh, John Wayne because <laughs> I sat through this movie going, I should be enjoying this. I should, I understand that. And I'm not. Which it it just it floors me that you were you feel this way yeah. about it. Yeah, it, it was just a very weird experience for me. Well, Mike, I know that this was one that you were really championing that we did. You so. were you were about right on top of this one. So yeah, oh, so yeah. very much tell so. Us, tell us about like your experience rewatching this movie and and what it uh, what it appeals to you about it. Well, what appeals to me about it is the history behind it and the relationship you get with both Newman and Redford. It's just truthfully, it's stunning. It's, you know, 
the buddy, like Alex said, the buddy movie, the Western. And I'm going to not lie and say this is probably a movie I haven't seen in 40 years. So I I was probably 13 when I first saw this. And it's, you know, it's been a while. And truthfully, I had it built up more in my head than watching it this time. I loved it still. It it was very enjoyable, but it felt very choppy in parts, like it jumped a lot. And I don't remember it being that way. I still think I would recommend people to watch this. But for me, you know, I had it built up that it was like all this action Western instead of who are these guys, you know, the whole for like half the movie. 27 minutes. Yeah, that they got chased. 27 minutes, but thank goodness there was a score underneath it to build 10. Oh, oh, wait. There wasn't. <laughs> 27 minutes of horse clopping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was just, you know, I I forgot about that part where I blocked it out. I helped it, had it built up more. You know, I guess I've seen too many other Westerns that I might have mixed into this mm-hmm. and everything since. There's, Don't get me wrong. There's some classic scenes. There's some amazing scenes. I even loved it when they were down in Bolivia and they were reading from the little script because neither of them knew how to really speak Spanish. The, the crib sheet was yeah. great. I just thought that was just awesome. And it was just, there was a lot of it that I just, I thought was pretty spectacular. but there was just parts where I felt like it dragged or it just jumped too much. I, I have a theory on this, but I I'd like to hear uh, what Mr. Gordon has to think. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, and it's, it's one of those things that's really imposing because, you know, when you get a movie that everybody, everything tells you that this is a classic, right? Mm-hmm. So you go to sit down and watch it and you're like, okay, like arms crossed, impress me, right? I mean, this is a movie that uh, did really well when it came out. Um, was like a highest grossing movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Film Institute, the AFI, has declared it one of the hundred movies, the best movies of all time. Um, uh, one thing that makes me laugh is Butch and Sundance were ranked twentieth in the greatest heroes on AFI's hundred years, hundred heroes and villains, like. They're granted like they're ranked the twentieth greatest heroes, um, and it's uh, the American Film Institute also named it as the seventh greatest greatest western of all time. So, I mean, it's it's that alone, like, and it 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 was nominated for a bunch of awards, um, and uh, it it won a few, but not for any acting, no, uh, mainly for the screenplay as well as uh, score, which. Uh, to me, that's like the weak link of this movie. That's the original I like, song. I, I like uh, Burt Bacharach a lot. Yeah, yeah. But it just doesn't fit this movie very well to me. Um, it almost felt like it was forced in. It did. The, it feels the like this movie is like a. Like uh, in, in ways, it feels like this movie is like a an Robert Altman movie sometimes because the music yeah. seems so kaleidoscope and Nickelodeon, um, uh, and and. It fits much better uh, a few years later when they work when the same creative team does the Sting, right? Right. Like, uh, the Sting is is absolutely a 
like a tremendous follow-up to this movie. Um, but that said, um, I, I, I noticed in particular, and of course the main story here is, is Redford and, and Newman. Like they click, they just, it's just fun watching them do anything. Uh, uh, much like I said about, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, like you get these two actors top of their game. They work well together. They just have that chemistry. I, I could watch them do anything. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because you guys are talking about the chase scene. I was riveted. I, I thought that was brilliant. I, I didn't miss the music. Uh, like most of the time when the music popped in, I was kind of annoyed, to be honest with you. So a, a great stretch like that. But I kind of like how, if anybody out there has seen The Sting, The Sting is a straight up like comedy. It yeah. really is. It's a it's a it's a con movie, but it's also just a very comedic one. Whereas this one has some comedic elements, <laughs> uh, the dialogue and everything. But there's this there's this sense of impending doom uh, right from the beginning of this movie that like like this is this is the last uh, run for them. This is they're they're living on borrowed time. Uh, and I thought that like the chasing perfectly represented that like they are just trying to do whatever they can to, to escape like death as, as their lifestyle, like, because their lifestyle doesn't support like living very long. Um, and they do, they actually go move to another country and just start doing the same thing because they don't know how to do anything else. Uh, they're nice guys. They're great guys, guys you want to hang out with. Not a guy you want to piss off, especially Sundance, but guys that, uh, that, because they're, yeah, they're, they're billed as these really wonderful guys. When they're robbing people, they're kind of joking around with the people that they're robbing. You know, they're, they've got the reputation, the, you know, the, the engineer, the train comes out and is like, I just want to watch you guys. <laughs> like, like, this is awesome. You know, they're, they have banter against with the guy uh, that's trying to protect the safe and everything like that. But Woodcock. it's, really, it's really cool how like that scene goes from being like comedic <laughs> and lovable to all of a sudden once that 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 other train car pulls up and the 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 uh the posse comes out it gets really dark and scary there. And that's oh, when people start that dying. Was awesome when the doors opened and the horses came out of the train. Yeah. And and immediately two of the wild bunch get slaughtered. Like and you're like, "Oh, this this just became like a a a western. This just became a grown up western. Um, and I and I like that. That yeah, it does have some inconsistent problems. Uh, I certainly think that uh, the role of um, uh, uh, what's her name, um, Etta, Catherine Ross. Catherine Ross is at a place. <sighs> Uh, is kind of problematic, especially if you look at it in today's lenses. Well, and that was the thing was I was watching it and, and her, okay. First of all, like the first appearance between her and, and, but, and, uh, Sundance. Yeah. 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 It's like, this is really, really long and awkward. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a very uncomfortable sequence. And you know what? It doesn't get better when she basically says, I'm going along with this. Um, it, it, it doesn't, it does not help the situation. What's weirder about it is the next morning, 
<laughs> the next morning where jump on the bicycle it's it's okay so there was a movie is that code i it's you know it ought to be but um here's the thing when 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 uh when butch shows up when, when okay so when sundance first shows up in in the room she's trepidatious she's she's very quiet all of that she never cuts a smile <laughs> We find out that the two of them are a That's couple. Right. Creepy. So who needs and then the next identity? morning, she wakes up with with, with Butch Cassidy uh, uh, going around their room on a bicycle, uh, which is not code. <laughs> and she's smiling. She's happy to see him. There was a movie. Uh, I want to say it was released in 2002. 2003 called bandits starring billy bob thornton and bruce willis i remember that one the two of them are both after the same woman while they're bank robbers and in the end they just decide to share her in a polyamorous relationship and i literally when i saw that movie thought well that's the first time that's happened in a film and I was wrong. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was a weird relationship. In that now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't she ask him? Like, doesn't she ask Butch? Like, do you ever wonder what would happen if I had met she, you first? She specifically says, "Would we have gotten together <laughs> if I had met you first? <laughs> and it, it's just like you know, hey, if I wasn't you know, sleeping with the guy who shoots with you. Uh, yeah. It, ugh. And then she says, uh, you know, later on when she, when they ask her to come yeah. uh, with them, she's like, I will do whatever you want. I just don't want to watch you die. Yeah. And which is actually a noble thing to say. It is. And she's up. She, she, she perfectly lives up to that. Like you she can does. the decision you can see it on her face, like when she's lying there by the fire, and she knows, like, yeah, this, this, they're about to kill themselves. They're about to get themselves killed. She I need, is, I need to go. She is the only one of the three with working brain cells, um, <laughs> because she's the one, you know, because she sees the writing on the wall. Oh yeah, because um, she gives them outs. Oh yeah, she's like, you guys could be farmers. Well, I don't know how to farm. You could be ranch hands. I don't like the hours. We're too old for that. We're too old for that. Okay, yeah. And she tries to help him out in the beginning. She oh yeah, and she, but she has she has fun going. I mean, she has fun on the on the capers with them too. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was interesting in this. They never wore the like the little scarfs of over their their faces and everything. I believe the sheriff referred to as hanky. Because yes. you know uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman are not that distinct looking, so yeah. really, no, they, not at all. They, they cannot stand out in a crowd. I mean, they, they you just they just blend in because it's Hollywood and you don't cover up the faces. Of, <laughs> of... <laughs> oh, way to way to take the magic out of it. So, Ashley, what did you think of of Etta and and all of that? Yeah, so I, I think you guys, everything you have said is correct. Viewing it through today's lens, there there is a lot that's problematic. That scene 
where she's first introduced is really hard to watch. Even though my second viewing, I knew it was happening. It's like, man, this is, this is real cringy. I think there is something, there's many other ways they could have shot that scene and having the characters like reuniting after not seeing each other for a while without doing that. But um, it, it is interesting to kind of look back and see uh, roles for women and particularly in Westerns. That's something that had kind of bothered me in past Westerns that I had watched. Um, there's either not really a lot of in-depth roles uh, for women a lot of times, or they're kind of pushed to the sidelines like, Oh, you have to be rescued or killed. So it was kind of cool to see her more involved in the story. But I also feel like if this movie were made today, she would have had an even more expanded role and they would have taken away some of the things that um, definitely read as more problematic to modern viewers. Yeah. It's interesting to think that now would be the time for her to be made into a stronger character. Yeah, which is interesting. Like you think um, all this time later, I feel like we're starting to get to the place now where um, not that I'm saying they sh- should re- remake this movie. That's not a road that, uh, they should go down but like if they were to i can see her character as being one that would maybe get expanded fleshed out a little bit more hell if it was made today she would probably say come in at the end and save the day and taking out the army or something <laughs> she saves the day at the end i i will say, I'll tell you this if they announced next week that oh i don't know pick a director scorsese was going to remake this with brad and leo i would be like i'm in Oh, I would, me too. I would want Robert Rodriguez to do it. Um, I wouldn't, but oh, I would. I, I, no. <laughs> I mean, I like Robert Rodriguez. He's so. got a great western still in him somewhere. <laughs> so, um, uh, but but with those like you know that that talent and just like like I said, I mean, I, I saw a lot of the same themes there. So they probably wouldn't do it because they'd be like, no, no, we just did that. Um, uh, but um, all right. So uh, one thing I definitely we need to talk about is the ending. Because the ending is probably outside of the charisma of these two gentlemen, the thing that I think stands with most people. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it was iconic. And it's been, whenever it's repeated, there's been several endings that are kind of like this. But yet, um, uh, this is, is charged with being like the really first ending of its kind, like the rebels going out uh, in a full blaze of glory, really. Um, and, uh, I do remember even, um, when Thelma and Louise came out, a lot of people were like, Oh, look at that Butch and Sundance ending. Oh, spoilers, very much so. Spoilers yeah. for, spoilers for Thelma and Louise, by the way. Uh, but, um, uh, too late, but. Uh, hey, <laughs> Thelma and Louise made it over that canyon. Come on. Sure. Like evil can evil. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Ashley, what'd you think of the ending? Is it, uh, is, is going out in a blaze of glory? What, what does that mean to you? Does it fit the movie? I think it fits with the movie again. Like it's something that, uh, in real life is probably not happened exactly like this, but I think it makes sense for the characters. Like they're, they realize that this is it for them. Like they're not going to survive this. So they're going to go out on their own terms, darn it. And so I think that made sense with, with their characters. And I believe the film just stops. Like you don't actually see them get shot or die at the end. It just kind of ends, which I think works with the tone of the film as well. I think if if they had let that all play out, it would have been a little too dark, but 
I feel like um, the ending fit the type of story they were trying to tell in the tone of the film. Yes, yeah, so if this was a Sam Peckinpah movie, we would have seen them their bloody carcasses yeah. just <laughs> like on the ground. It would not have been pretty. No, no. Uh, Alex, what do you think of the end? Um, I think it's a very unique ending. I, I think uh, it's one of those times where um, if if the legend is better, you tell the legend. Um, I suspect since both men were already shot by that point, um, you have just as likely for them to have decided to run out and face the army uh, and, and die standing you know, with their boots on, as it were. Um, as much as it was likely that they bled to death inside the bank. Um, so I know I'm a happy guy in that regard. Um, it's interesting, but I, I think in this case, to to make the legend complete, uh, you have to have them defiantly stand up and, and charge the onslaught. Um, I, I'm guessing they make it about as far as anybody who's ever tried to rob a las vegas casino but um that yeah um i i love the ending i thought the ending was very well done because the two of them are still snarky towards each other oh yeah because uh, like, like, like that's what you call covering me that's what you call running you know that's I, that's funny it's really funny that oh, might right. be the, that might be the funniest banter in the movie to me and redford's hair was still perfect Redford's hair will always be perfect. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's that's not even fake. I mean, it's just it just it just lies like that. You have to comb it. You just <laughs> it, it acts like that. It just says, "All right, I'm perfect." Um, Mike, what do you think of the ending? Well, the ending was kind of appropriate for you know, like Alex said, they were going to either bleed to death inside there, or they were going to go out and face the police force. They didn't even know the army was out there. That you know they were being that the army oh. had come in, and so they were like you know they were going to think okay maybe we can get away from these police guys and nope they were surrounded by the Bolivian army it was awesome and I think you know it was pretty appropriate for you know these two guys who were pretty much carefree and you know then they finally lived up to the responsibility at the end. You know, hey, we got into this mess. We got to get ourselves out of it or, you know, that way. And I thought it was really well done. Yeah, um, especially considering that I think the real live events of Butch, whether they took each other out in the in, inside the... Supposedly. Uh, yeah, supposedly they took each other out in the... Uh, There's a lot of question on that. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, they didn't they didn't jump out and and get slaughtered like uh like the movie. Uh at least all accounts say that they did not do that. Um, no. But this is a very and and keep in mind also that there's that this movie is is on the tail end. I think it's only a few years after um Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Which yeah. is a kind of a similar kind of story as far as outlaws known as like heroes, renegade heroes that just get, I mean, completely butchered at the end. So uh, I'm glad that, I'm glad that we don't see that. I'm glad that George Roy Hill was like, no, no, I'm just going to freeze it here. And, and this is the image 
that I think I want people to be left in the theater with. It's so much so that it's the image that's on the poster. I, it's one of the only times I can remember that the image, the last image of the movie is actually the image on the poster that they used to promote it. So um, spoilers are not a new thing. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I will say that uh, when, when Sundance gets shot, it's so compelling and just takes me, it always takes my breath away. Uh, the the movement that Redford does when he gets shot is just it's just brutal to me. Um, not so much uh, Butch because uh, you know whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, um, like you call that running? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else? Anything else that struck you about this movie or the legacy of it, Ashley? Um, yeah, just interesting again to watch how westerns kind of have developed over time and to see this movie um, at the particular time it was made um, as you're watching, you can tell like, yeah, this is a movie that's been made years ago, but you can also see some of the techniques that here at play that will show up in later movies. So it's kind of an interesting juncture in terms of Hollywood history. So I always enjoy watching films kind of around that period and see how things have changed and, um, going forward into the future. But yeah, this is one, one of the Westerns that I say that I did enjoy. So um, I enjoyed revisiting it for, for this podcast. You say it, it more or less lives up to the hype or. Um, I would kind of. Is, is that really difficult? Yeah, I think it is challenging. Again, I think I enjoyed it more the second time I saw it because the first time like, Oh, I've heard about this movie so much and it is hard to live up to that anticipation. Um, and I don't have a lot of Westerns to compare it to, but like the good, the bad and the ugly, that is an example of one that the hype is so high for that one. And that one genuinely did blow me away. Like after I finished watch, it's like, wow, that's an amazing movie. I can't believe I waited so long to watch it. So I don't know that it has aged quite as well as that movie, but I think it's still worth revisiting for sure as a piece of Hollywood history. Wow. So Sergi Leone won George Royale minus one. <laughs> still both enjoyable but i think the other one has a slight slight edge there <laughs> choosing spaghetti westerns over bolivian westerns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> alex what about you uh overall uh the legacy of the movie well i first of all there's so much that that we can continue to talk about the the sepia tones at the beginning of the film uh, or, or scattered that, throughout yeah. different scattered throughout yeah um the the fact that there are scenes where there's what could now be referred to as an uncomfortable silence. Uh, the the sweeping landscapes, uh, all the different things they did in the film, the strange editing that was done uh, in uh, 1980, where one line was taken out for television. Um, and, and that line was, well, that takes a load off my mind. Very strange to have cut that one line, uh, only to have it reappear when they released the, the director's cut. Hmm. Um, it, it's, I think it is a movie that deserves the accolades that it got. And it's funny that, that like Ashley said that she didn't really, uh, enjoy it as much as she thought the first time and actually enjoyed it more the second time around. I'm wondering if since I came in with no prior knowledge, if I watched it a second time, if I would enjoy it more. Uh, and I definitely think that as a, if you're a film historian or you want to know about 
great films, this is one to put on the list. I could see that. I definitely could see that. I can agree with that. You know, a lot of Westerns that came later, especially, you know, it was interesting when I was watching this, I saw a lot of Silverado on this. There's a lot of Silverado. There's a lot of Lethal Weapon. Yes. There is a lot of Rush Hour. There is a lot of, there's a lot that is taken from this film and really adapted for other things. The the fact that, you know, our two heroes, quote unquote, are really anti-heroes, and this is towards the end of that anti-hero phase. But I could see the conversations that Butch and Sundance having being done by Vince and Jules in Pulp Fiction. Oh, sure. Of course. It's you know, it's that same style, that same banter. Um, there's just a lot that's taken from this film and put into other movies, which I think might be why I had the problem with it. Cause I feel like I had seen it all before. And, and yeah, that's, that's turf. That's perfectly legit because the, 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 the groundbreakingness of this movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been watered down over 50 years yeah i mean it would be it would be showing a nine-year-old star wars today except that it would rule but um (laughs) but no but they've seen everything it's why john carter didn't perform well in theaters because everything that was done in john carter which really helped build all these other films that came before it it was already done it had already been seen yeah um mike what about you that's interesting to, that you brought, think, you know, I agree with Alex, you know, it's been, like I said earlier, it's been quite a few years since I've seen this and I've seen now watching this. Oh, I saw this in this movie. I saw this in this movie. I've seen this and it was really well done and it was a lot of fun to see. And it was interesting that, you know, this is considered a classic and I could see why you had two actors at the top of their game completely. They were likable, even though they were like, you keep on saying they were the bad guys in this, but they were anti-heroes, you know, even like when Butch Cassidy said, I've never shot anybody before. And it's like, you know, when they were pointing to the bandits who had just, you know, were robbing the, I guess the mine, guy who was doing you know trying to the foreman from the mine who you know was hired to be butch and sundance to be security so it was actually pretty cool to see and we just it was neat to also have you know this be a movie that i could show to somebody who had never seen a western before or you know a lot of this newer younger generation doesn't watch westerns or they don't know the genre all that much because it's not as popular as it was at one time you have stuff like you know westworld or like some of the other newer tv shows that are on hbo and such but this is a true movie western this is this is beyond the Roy rogers and you know that type of 1950s western but you have, these are the true gritty, you know, almost 
spaghetti western era and it fit really well into that you know genre this movie does so much for westerns it did a lot for the buddy movie the buddy cop or buddy you know um action movies um uh certainly did a lot now it didn't introduce the fact that you know that outlaws could be protagonists or anti-heroes or whatnot i mean certainly in the in the days of the west in the 1890s and whatnot when this stuff was happening like the the audiences were thrilled but to read all about the exploits of these bad boys so so that's always been sort of a an american uh thing if you will like you know like uh, an attraction to to bad boys um and as bad boys goes uh butch and sundance in this movie are not terribly horribly bad um they they're um they're really charismatic and they're funny and uh and they're skilled <laughs> um for the most part i think i think it's interesting that this movie because i think prior depictions of them uh even though they were known they weren't like huge in terms of like outlaw legends uh certainly wyatt earp billy the kid uh everything like those guys were like really and still might be at the top like this movie actually did a lot to to booster butch and sundance to like the a list of uh of outlaws western outlaws at the time um and um and even so i mean it wasn't i mean sundance kid was just a member of uh butch's gang the wild bunch which was made into a movie after this which did was was directed by sam peckinpah so if you want to see a bloody version <laughs> of butch and sundance that's uh the sam peckinpah's version is is pretty is pretty different but um but um yeah it's fun to see it's fun to see these guys perform it's fun to see like a lot of the character actors this is the end the tail end of the studio system so this is really the last time where these kind of movies get made with these, like these people that you would see in Westerns over and over again. Um, the, the things are changing. And I think this is a great, especially after, you know, remarking how 1969 was a big, I big so. year of change going into the seventies for the country. I think it's interesting that this movie kind of is reminiscent or kind of reflective of things are changing and the old guard the old guys are, are 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 going are going away and not going to be around for the, the you know the second part so or the next part so the next chapter of americana so i think that's really kind of interesting as well so i mean you could put a lot i'm sure there's been a lot of uh you know film analysis film theories uh made about this and i think it's 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 deserving of it i think it 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 adds it has that element to it where you're not just like kind of making stuff up. I think it's actually in the movie, which is pretty impressive. So, so, uh, overall, uh, good choice. Good pick. I think so. (laughs) Well, it was interesting because, you know, it was like when we first started talking about it, Oh, let's do it because I'm sure that, you know, Ashley hadn't seen it before or, (laughs) and, you know, trying to get, you know, Let's pick movies that Ashley hasn't seen, you know, try to, to <laughs> as we like to call it, educating Ashley, you know, that type of thing. 
<laughs> thank, you. thank you. I, th- I think <laughs> we need to do Animal House next for her. Oh. <laughs> I have not seen that one either. Wow. All right. Well, I think the gauntlet's been thrown. Oh, I think it has. I, wow. think, uh, I think the next time we we uh, we visit a classic movie, the thrower of us, it should be uh, Toga. 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 <laughs> That's great. We did a thing on Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and ended with a Toga chant. <laughs> <laughs> Only on Earth Station 1. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, and uh, we will be right back with the ESO Network Con. Raindrops are falling on my head, and just like the guy who's feet up to... Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the Amazon Prime show, The Boys, Episode 1. While at San Diego Comic-Con, I saw a lot of advertisements for The Boys, not really knowing what it was about. Amazon had it as part of their walkthrough experience that I didn't get to do. They had posters all over the place. There were giant wall posters in the gas lamp district. They had a huge panel about it at the convention with all the actors that I also didn't get to go to since I worked the entire con and didn't get to experience anything. However, it's a superhero show, so of course I'm going to give it a try. This show is wonderfully made. The costumes, the makeup, and the computer effects are amazing. Like, super well done. The storyline made me think of it kind of as a more adult version of One Punch Man, just without Saitama, in the way that all the superheroes are paid for by a corporation to give people their services as a superhero, and they have to kind of, what seemed like, be registered. This show is amazing like the first episode was super dark but also tried to show that there were some light moments in it we see huey who is the main focus of this episode lose his girlfriend after she's killed by a superhero who is running too fast and he ran through her making her body explode we see his struggle throughout the episode and how he learns that the heroes aren't actually really heroes they're all just really big jerks who take abuse like they abuse their power we also see how these heroes may not really be heroes at all since by the end of the episode you really only like one of them the other ones just all seem like assholes or perverts except for the new girl in the group who seems to not be corrupted by the power yet We also see Carl Urban in a really interesting role for him, which that's really all I'm going to say. You should really watch it to see, because from what you've seen him in before, he's not that clean-cut character. So yeah, go check this out. Um, It's not for kids, but it's really, really great watch. And I have only seen the first episode, and I'm excited to see more. And it's on Amazon Prime, so it's super easy to find. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of August 7th, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Hey, everyone. We are here in Smyrna, Georgia at the Legion Comic Show. Yeah, Legion Comic Con. Yep. Yep. 
Exactly, put on by our friend Chris Hammer. Welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. And we got Mike, Mike, and Bobby Nash. Hi. Howdy. I almost stole your howdy, but I, yeah. I thought better of it. Well, he hit me with his hat. You could only rent it. Yeah, exactly. Well, howdy only goes so far in this field anyway. So it's about halfway through the day, and the, the crowd has been really consistent and, and good. It's a good turnout for this show. Oh, yeah. It's pretty amazing how big the show is crowd-wise. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been a constant flow of people since the doors opened at 11, and... It's just a lot of familiar faces here. Yep. A lot of families, too. A lot of kids. I see a lot of kids running around. A lot of cosplay. Yep. Which is really nice to see. A lot of alcohol. Yes. Because it's in a Legion Hall. Yes. They actually have yes. a stock bar. Yeah, they do. It is. So right there, if you weren't here, now you've got a reason to come. Yeah, next time they do this, yeah. you know. Comics aren't your thing. <laughs> it. You know, you look at your geek stuff. I'll be here with my craft beer for only $2. All right. It's really awesome. So, Bobby, how's things been here so far? Wonderful. It's been a great crowd. We've had a lot of people stop by the table, you know, so which is always good. I guess we a chance to hawk my wares, but I've I've met several new people. I've, I've seen, you know, the old friends, and this has been a great day hanging out and hanging out at the con. What's What better way to spend a Saturday? Thanks to Chris for inviting us. Absolutely. Chris has put on an amazing show. I think I love the fact, too, that they, they really made an effort to... Diversify the um, the kinds of material that's here. It's not all like pinup artists or all toys. It's, it's not the it's, same old crowd. Yeah, it's it's a it's nice a, mix it's of a genres. Nice mix. Like and, we were just at the Atlanta Comic Con uh, convention actually last weekend, and you know, I mean, it's a good show, but it's like it's just your dealers and and local talent. And this is this has got a mixture of everything. You've got some dealers, you've got some local talent to be sure, but not just of comics, of lowbrow art, yep. of crafts, of. Uh, and different kinds, kinds of crafts, of different kinds of crafts, too. I mean, our friends from Felt Nerdy are here. We've also got guys that have worked on cartoon series that are here, like uh, Matthew Jenkins. we got, uh, got people are here with uh, pottery that they're selling or uh, geek pottery. Geek pottery, and, you know. Uh, the guy across from us has has art on cards and paintings that he's done. So there's a, there's a little bit of everything. I mean, as I look out here, I see looks like what's like geek socks or something. I can't tell if that's what those are. And then a lot of toys, a lot of old toys, and a lot of pops. And yeah. our know, friend Martin is here who does Joe Lanza. Joe Lanza, yep, yep. And our friends uh, uh, Robert and Michelle who do SC Comic Con. That's right. They're here, so. and uh, Dan Koza who's got his book The Lingeria here. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good friend Rebecca Perry is here. Uh, the folks Jonathan at Horror and Clay are here. Robert, uh, writer Robert Jeffrey is here. So there's a lot of familiar faces. But Mike, Mike from Titan Comics is here. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, um, and is there some cosplay game? I think the Five O First is here. Is that right? Yep. And then uh, Miracle and Chris are here, uh, dressed as Gambit and Rogue, looking spectacular. So there's some cosplay represented as well. So you've got your mixture of what you normally expect at a comic show, plus a little bit of, like, you know, that little Chris Hamer, like, edgy, yeah. lowbrow coolness, right? Yeah, there's that. That's, it's, yeah, because if you know Chris's art, it, it's, it's, it's not... It's not Norman Rockwell. It's not. It's <laughs> no, not Snoopy. No, it's, no, no, but it's it's that offbeat, just fun, and then the, the show really feels that way. Yes, absolutely. Well, the cool thing about it also last night they did a tattoo event. Yes, over at Allied uh, Tattoo of Marietta. 
I feel bad. I was supposed to design a tattoo for that, and I, I didn't get around to it. Oh, busted. It's like somebody should have been on there. So today, somebody could have been walking around with my art on their arm. Exactly. Uh, Legion Hall is a great place to have this. Uh, the facility is great. The, the people there here are awesome. And, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, local support here. Yeah. And, and, and this is an area that doesn't generally get a lot of shows. No, not at all. So I think that's nice, too, especially for the locals. Who, who don't want to drive all the way into Atlanta or, or to the other or side of Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. So, so you know, you're a good 30, 40 minutes where Atlanta Comic Con mm-hmm. is and everything. And so this is, you know, a really good thing for the west side of Atlanta. I agree. So, I agree. I hope, he do, I hope he's able to do a lot more. Yeah, well, it looks like this one is a success. Yep. So I'm glad to be part of it. Thanks again, Chris, for inviting us. And we'll probably talk to Chris in a couple days. On After he's recovered. Exactly. <laughs> right before, like, but the, the lull between recovering from this and then preparing for Dragon yeah. <laughs> Right, because okay. I'm sure if you talk to Chris today, he's probably like... talking to Chris today. Exactly. No, no, actually, Chris is doing an amazing job. He is greeting everybody who comes in the door. Nice. So, good for him. It's a real personal touch. Exactly. And you know what? Definitely like the feel of this, and I think this is the beginning of something big. Absolutely. And like I said, I, I hope we do another one, and if it does, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And, yeah, it's, I'm happy to be here. So, long live the Legion Comic Con. Yes. We are Legion. <laughs> <laughs> As you just heard, we had a blast at Legion Comic Convention this this past weekend. Uh, we really, once again, thank uh, Chris Hamer and Matt and all the other uh, volunteers, not just that uh, he provided, but the, the Legionnaires that were there. Uh, and it was just a great space and a great time. So uh, yeah, I hope that this is the first of many of those shows, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, we'll be there for every one of them we can be, because it was really a lot of fun. Um, and speaking of a lot of fun, we've got a big, 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 probably the granddaddy of all conventions that are ha- that's happening right here in our own backyard. Yes, that, I'm talking about Dragon Con. Uh, Dragon Con is, of course, August 29th through September 2nd, Labor Day weekend. And uh, it's always a big, big, big party. And we love it, love it, love it. Of course, Mike and I will both be there. Uh, we got our tentative panel schedules and while we're not going to go into them in too much detail mike how many panels are you on so far for me it's a light year so far i'm only doing eight 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 all right but i know i'm going to probably be on three others so so much for the light year um so yeah that still is light compared to my 18 (laughs) year panel you know so yeah it was just like when i the year i had 18 panels i don't think i slept well, I will be on four panels uh, for sure. Uh, those are the ones that are uh, right now uh, set. Uh, there could be some leeway here and there on some others, but those are. But four is the number right now. And when I'm not going to be at my, on the panel, I will be at my table. So uh, the more time I can spend at my table and see everybody uh, that that visit the the comic and pop artist alley, the better, because that's that's a great time, and I can't wait to experience that and that's just going to be in a few weeks and there's plenty of other ESO network folks going to be there uh we've got the we're going to get the final list on that hopefully for you to share with you next week and next week we are also recording our final episode of the Dragon Con Con report so uh so once again if you've got 
some things that you're excited about and you want us to give a shout out to a party that you're giving or a panel that you're going to be on or just something that you just want to love to rave about, uh, uh, about Dragon Con, please feel free to reach out to us uh, because we'll, we'll put it on the show. Uh, you can send us an audio comment. Uh, you can send us uh, an email and we'll read it. Uh, and uh, you can um, also just uh, come and hang out and visit Mike's house in person. That's not too stalkery. No, not at all. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Uh, but uh, you can reach us and send all that good stuff to uh, our new this year uh, DragonCon email address, which. Mike is DragonCon at what is it? I'm sorry, I forgot it. Isn't it DragonCon Report at ESONetwork.com? I believe that's what it is, yes. So yes, you can email it that way, or you can just contact us on our various social media. Let us know what you're excited by. And then that will be out in about a you know a couple of weeks and in plenty of time for well, I say plenty of time, but man, DragonCon's gonna hit us in the face before we know it. So so we're all looking forward to that. And then who knows what's going to happen after that. But if there is a convention that, that's happening after Dragon Con that you want us to help participate in, promote, or just rave about, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Ashley, we did this one for you, my dear. Oh, thank you. I am down for any time you guys want to revisit some classic movies. I enjoy expanding my film repertoire and trying something new. We should almost do a new podcast here on the ESO Network called Ashley Hasn't Seen. It's an it's embarrassingly long list. I mean, for someone like, I love movies. I watch so many movies, but there's so many that I have still not seen. So could keep me busy for a long time to come. It actually shocked me when you said the Quentin Tarantino movie that you haven't seen yet. I know. There, there's some just odd random gaps. Like, I went through and I watched all the Tarantino movies, but for some reason skipped, switch, skipped that one and then got distracted by something else. So... Oh, well, more, it's more stuff for me to dive into in the future. Exactly. More episodes for us to fill up time with. It's awesome. <laughs> it's a great thing. Well, thank you. Thank you, though. Anything you want to promote? Um, just wanted to give a quick shout out tonight. I just um, have recently got back from Gen Con, the board gaming convention in Indianapolis, and had a really great time. Um, if there are any listeners out here... Um, who enjoy board games or even just curious about it. It's a really fun con. I got to try lots of board game, new games. I played in a Star Wars Destiny card tournament and I lost every single round, but I had a great time. And um, also I got to meet uh, Drew from Earth Station DCU. We uh, met up at a game store uh, close to the convention. We got to play a few games. So it was nice to meet him in person. So always nice to see some more of the crew from the station in person. That is awesome. It's always good to have the family grow and get to know each other even better. Yes. So that is, that's cool when that happened. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything. Oh, thank you. And Alex. Hi. Always good to have you, sir. It's always a pleasure. And, and this was a fun one for me, especially uh, in, in looking at the fact that I just had not seen this one. Um, and uh, it was really kind of neat. 
to to kind of see where it all came from. Mm-hmm. It did, and you know, this is you know, fifty years and having so much spawned off of it, which yeah. is pretty cool. And we didn't even talk about the real people and no. the, what really ha- could have possibly happened to them and mm-hmm. such. And even today, they're still searching. So kind of neat stuff. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, those of you who have, uh, have kind of listened and known about my last year uh, knows about my uh, experiences with uh, DDPY. Um, they just announced before the taping that they are doing an open house at their performance center on uh, Saturday, August 17th. And it is 100% free. And they're inviting everyone to come out. Um, classes at 9 and 10.30 will be free for anybody who comes in on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, Dallas will be there from 12 till noon. Uh, they'll even have food from uh, that's done from recipes off the app. So um, it should be a very good time. I've been to a couple of the open houses, and they're all fantastic experiences. Oh, that is awesome. I might have to see what my schedule is. I might actually be interested in that. That would be fantastic. I will be there. Yay. That is cool. And Mr. Mike. As always, it's my pleasure. We made it through another one, my friend. Anything you want to shout out about? I do. Since we're talking about and reminiscing about things that are turning 50 this year, uh, this week, one of my all-time favorite Attraction Rides uh, turns 50 uh, because on August 9th, 1969, was the first, uh, was the opening of the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland. Nice. Uh, Now, I've never been to the original one in Disneyland. I've been to the one in Disney, Walt Disney World several times. So, but um, it is my favorite ride in the park. Um, Yes, I know people are thinking that it was the, the Enchanted Tiki Room is my favorite, but... Nope. Why? Uh, <laughs> no, really. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, no, the Haunted Mansion is incredible. It's uh, it's always just um, been right in my wheelhouse as far as the perfect sort of combination between sort of humor, adventure, some scares. Um, it's just a perfect ride from beginning to end. The experience going in, waiting uh, for the ride. Uh, actually, once you get into the house, um, is is amazing. Uh, just everything about it is something that I love. So, um, happy fiftieth anniversary to those nine hundred and ninety nine happy haunts. That just is awesome. One it's one of my favorite rides at Disney, both Disneyland and Disney World. And I swear, one of those guys really did follow me home because it's just my life's been cursed ever since. <laughs> sure, Disney on the ghosts. <laughs> that's what you do that's what you do all right my shout out real quick it is you know few folks at home know that i pretty much have given up on a lot of the dc shows on cw but i will be coming back this fall for crisis on infinite earths of course you will of course i think everybody will because it is just amazing and who they're getting for these roles is just amazing there was some bad news that i've heard that have come out of it is i don't think they will be able to get linda carter to be wonder woman Mm. i've i've heard that that fell through but i am so psyched that they are getting kevin conroy to play a live action older bruce wayne which is just amazing and it's just 
awesome. For those who don't know who Kevin Conroy is and you've been living under a rock, basically he it has he is the voice of Batman. He to some people he is the best Batman out there. Drives He's, the best Batmobile. Oh god, yes, he does. He's from the Batman animated series and it is going to be amazing to see how they pull this off and I'm looking forward to it. Are they going to team him up with Burt Ward as Robin? That would be pretty damn awesome if they did. (laughs) Who knows? Oh, yeah. That would just be... Oh, I didn't even think about that until you just said that, Mikey. That would be really awesome. But we definitely, you know, are looking forward to it. And I'm sure we're going to be talking all about it as it gets closer. And then when it happens, I'm sure they'll be talking about it here on Earth Station One. But until then... We will be back again next week when we are going to be joined by Darren once again. And this time we are looking at Anti-Mame. That's right. We are looking at the original with Rosalind Russell, not the Lucille Ball version. He's made sure that we're not seeing that. <laughs> He's made that very clear. Darren has emphasized, yes, way too much. So join us then. It's going to be a lot of fun. But until then, my name is Mike Faber, and we will see you here next time on the Air Station One Podcast. Peace. And we're done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.